We want to um, just take some time now. Let's get into the Word of God. Um, before we do that, why don't we pray together, okay? Father, we're thankful that today we can stand just uh, in worship of you. Lord, we, um, we just, just pray and, and ask God that your Spirit would just come into your house today to just fill us and renew us by your Word. God, that, um, that we might just leave here um, just, just uh, empowered to do what you've called us to do and to live as, as how you've called us to live, God. May you be honored and blessed by the time that we spend in your word. May we learn, may we grow, and may we have the same heart that you have, Jesus. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you got your Bibles, um, open up to Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. And um, today, why don't we just, uh, as you're turning there, why don't you also just stand as we read this scripture together? And I've titled uh, my message as we get into this text, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Let's just, uh, let's, let's read this together. I'll read it aloud and let's just all agree as we read it, okay? It says this, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You may have a seat. Thanks for standing up and reading God's word with us. Today we are going to be um, just uh, going through this text together as a church, and I believe it's foundational for what we do as a ministry, and uh, just, just in our own understanding of who Jesus is and why he came, um, and how we are then as, as disciples to, to follow him. I've titled my message, as I said, Jesus, Friend of Sinners, is because that's what I see right here in this passage in Jesus calling this disciple Matthew. And, uh, I, you know, I, I believe as I've grown up in the church, we spend a lot of time focusing on the attributes of God, right? We, we, we know that he is, this starts off, he's, he's holy, okay? He's, he's pure. He's, he's set apart from us. He's, he's perfectly sinless, okay? And at the same time, he's also merciful and, and, and just and kind and good and wrathful against sin, okay? And we talk about all these attributes of God, but as we see Jesus Christ coming, what we see is that God's heart is that in, in the midst of all his holiness and his wrath against sin, we see the justice of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the heart of our God being for each one of us as sinners. But the problem that I see too often is that we get, we get to this place where we've been in the church for a long time and we forget that when we're talking about sinners, Jesus' friend of sinners, we kind of in our minds think, oh, that's them. 
That's them out there, okay? Because we have the righteousness of Christ, okay? And so, so while we are, we've been made righteous, while we've been imputed the righteousness of Jesus, sometimes we get off track and think, oh, it's only about us. Jesus came for us. Now, actually, what we see in this passage is that Jesus came for the sinner. And, and we gotta remember, we're in that place. To begin, I wanna just share with you a little story of, um, I, you know, I, I don't think it's any surprise to you that I enjoy music and uh, that's part of why I, I'm a worship pastor here is I, I believe in just music, the musical expression of worship and believe that we can teach so much through song and, and impart things that, that are beyond even words through, through music to our Savior. But uh, the, the big thing that we, we see in some of these songs is that there's usually a, a real big story behind some of, the, some of the most meaningful songs that we sing in our church, Right? And uh, so I want to just tell you a story about a man, and his, his name is, is uh, Newton. Newton wasn't always a spiritual leader. He wrote one of the songs that we sing today. I'll let you, let you find out what that was later on, okay? But he was born in London in 1725 as the only child of a sea captain and a church-going woman. His mother taught him to read the Bible and to go to, go to, go to church, but she died when Newton was just seven years old. As a young man, Newton joined the crew of a ship, and eventually, as he got older, he got involved in the brutal 18th century slave trade, which at that time was illegal, but also very lucrative. And Newton became known for his wild behavior and for actually openly mocking the gospel and people that had faith in Jesus Christ. He seemed as far away from God as he could get at that moment. But God had other ideas for Newton. In 1748, Newton was on board a slaving ship called the Greyhound. And that ship was in bad shape when it entered into a very violent storm. And uh, the ship began to fall apart and take on water. And Newton, throughout the whole night that they were going through, through this storm, feared for his own life, not thinking that they would make it. And while he's bailing water, he got to think about what might come if he would die that night. And he recalled something that his mother had said. His mother had, had, had reminded him over and over again and taught him, God loves to show mercy even to people who feel that they are beyond redemption. God loves to show mercy, even, when, even, even to people who feel that they are beyond redemption. And so there in the storm, Newton gave his life to Jesus Christ, repenting of his sins and placing his faith in Jesus that night. Well, he survived the storm, praise God, and that's why we actually know about this man. Didn't happen overnight, but Newton's life began to be transformed. He learned to pray, and he actually found some friends that shared his faith, some of the actually 18th century evangelists that, that we also know today, some famous people. And uh, they helped him understand how to apply the gospel to his life. And eventually, he gave up his role in the slave trade and uh, stopped sailing for a living becoming a pastor instead at a small English church. And he also became a writer of one of the hymns, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. And it describes his very personal journey out of the spiritual blindness into the light of God's grace. And so we recall these lines that he wrote. 
We just sang them last week. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Now this is neat to see how God uses someone then. He, he didn't just have a plan for Newton to be saved and just to write one song. Okay, listen to this. In his later years, Newton became a pastor of a larger church in London. And uh, he helped, helped lead many people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He also was active in the movement to abolish the Britain slave trade. And when the prime minister appointed a committee to investigate the slave trade, Newton was a key witness. He explained the horrors of the industry from the inside out, and his compelling testimony helped make the slave trade and eventually slavery illegal altogether. God's amazing grace is for everyone, period. It applied to John Newton, who mocked God and captained a slave slave ship, and it applies to each one of us. As Jesus said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come not to call those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Isn't that an awesome story? John Newton, a man that uh, wrote one of our treasured songs as a church, was saved by the amazing grace of Jesus. And so, so as we look at this text, what I, what I want us to get, I'm just telling you our big point right up front, is that God's desire is that sinners, like John, would be saved. And that's each one of us. If we remember back to, to however we were raised, each one of us came to this point where we realized that we were a sinner. Maybe, maybe you're not at that point yet. Where you realize you're a sinner, you repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus. And it should be our heart. The, the heart of, of someone that has received the gospel is also then to be an evangelist. Uh, the, the Great Commission is not fulfilled unless we are also making disciples, and that comes with evangelism. And so that, that's, that's the heart that we should have as Christians. So as we look at our text this morning, I want to just, uh, just bring us to it. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open it up, and we're going to just be going verse by verse to see Matthew's own story of him receiving the amazing grace of Jesus. You know, discipleship is all about following Jesus. That's what it is. And so, so when, when, when we go and look at Scripture, we're not just reading it for our own knowledge. We're actually reading it to understand how to imitate Jesus Christ himself. And so let's, let's see how we can imitate him in this. As we look at the passage, just to give you a little bit of background to Matthew chapter, chapter 9, verse 9. Um, the passage actually comes to us following three different miracles. And so if, if, you're, if you're looking in, in your Bible, you'll see in chapter 8, Jesus has done some of these first miracles of, of calming a storm, proving that he has power over nature, over creation. He is also, um, in chapter 8 and 28, healed two men with demons, demonstrating his power over the spirit world. Um, in chapter 9, at the beginning of chapter 9, right before this passage, Jesus has just healed a paralytic and, and said that his sins were forgiven, demonstrating his power over sickness and over sin. And immediately following this passage that we're going to look at today, we see that Jesus restores a, a little girl to life, demonstrating that he has power over death. Okay, so, so all these things are, have, have come together. Jesus has just begun his ministry. He's gathering disciples together and saying, come follow me. And that, that's the place where he meets Matthew there sitting at his tax booth. Let's go, to, let's go to this first verse. 
chapter, chapter 9, verse 9. It says this. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And so here you'll, you'll probably notice that this, this man's name is Matthew and, and the name of the book is also Matthew. And, and you may wonder, well, is that, is that a coincidence? Was this the same guy? And the answer is yes. Yes. This, this writer of the book of Matthew is also the same Matthew who is the disciple. And so he's talking about himself. And he doesn't actually say too much about himself. The way that Matthew actually describes himself is as a great sinner. Here's a little bit that we know about Matthew. His name is also um, seen as being Levi in the, in the book of Mark. Um, his profession was a tax collector. And what that meant was that he was part of a government-sanctioned Ponzi scheme. That's the, that's the easiest way to describe it. Um, basically, because the Romans ruled over the, Jew, the Jews during that time, they collected taxes for everything from, from income to tolls to fishing to, to travel to trade. Um, I've even heard that they taxed how many wheels were on your cart, okay? Just, just like you go through a toll booth and, you know, and, you know if you go across the, 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 the Mackinac Bridge or the Mackinac Bridge, I don't know how you say it. How do you say it? What is it? <laughs> Mackinac, that's all what I saw. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you go there and it's like Michelamac. How do you say that word too? It's like there's that Fort, Fort Michelamac. I don't know. Okay, so anyway, you, you get taxed on how many axles you have though. And they, they were that extreme. They taxed everything. And so Matthew, he was a tax collector. And he worked for the Romans. The way it worked was that uh, uh, these, these uh, tax collectors were actually contracted by the Roman government to, to do their job. And so, as a contractor does, they, they give you a bid for, you know, what, what it's going to cost. And so, so, so actually, the, the man with the, the highest bid, the one who said they're going to collect the most money, would get the contract for, for collecting taxes for the Romans. Now, you can also guess that if they're collecting way more money than the other contracted tax collector they're going to be extorting the people, right? And that's what Matthew was. And that's why they hated tax collectors so much because they were, they were just greedy and they were sellouts. They were taxing and collecting money from their own people, money that shouldn't have actually gone to the Romans. I mean, some of the money could have gone to the Romans, but they were taking away more money and just lining their pockets with it. And so he's wealthy. You know, I, I don't know if you've been watching The Chosen at all, and I, I like their portrayal of, of Matthew in The Chosen. You know, um, he's, you know he's, he's like this little, you know, kind of nerdy guy that loves numbers and stuff. And while that may have been Matthew, I bet you Matthew was actually more of a thug or a bounty hunter more than he was just a nerdy little fellow. Because a nerdy little fellow, I think the Jews would have just beaten him up, okay? <laughs> Seriously. Maybe that's why they have a guard with him, you know, in, in The Chosen all the time. I, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, I, I see Matthew more as a thug than a, than a, than a numbers nerd, okay? But um, because of his profession, he was actually seen as one of the greatest sinners. Not only as a sellout, but, but man, he, he just, he wronged people constantly, and that was his profession. So people stayed away from him. He was ostracized from, from, from all, of, 
all of Judaism. He was not allowed to go to the temple. He was not allowed to sacrifice and, and, and practice, practice the, the Old Testament law of bringing different sacrifices when, when you sin. And so he's viewed as, you know, unredeemable. This, this was not, not uh, someone that we would mark down on our, as an elder for, for a nomination, right? <laughs> this is not the qualities that we would put down, right? But yet, Jesus, walking by his tax booth, said, Matthew, come follow me. Come follow me. Why did he say that? Why in the world? This is the people that we've read off, right? And I think we have, a, as a church, sometimes have a, have a problem as individuals. I have a problem. I'll just make it personal. I have a problem sometimes writing people off and saying they're too far away. They're unredeemable. Their life is too messed up. They'd never be interested in repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Jesus. And that's where we get it wrong. And we gotta, again, look at the example of Jesus. So Jesus says, 9 verse 9, and he said to him, let's keep on going, come follow me, follow me. And what's his response? And he rose and followed him. Jesus said, follow me. If you look in the, in the original language in the Greek, this is actually a Greek word that is present indicative, which means a continuing action. So it wasn't just, hey, come over here and talk to me. No, it was leave your life of tax collecting and follow me continually. Okay, when we talk about discipleship, it's not I'm going to just come to church on Sunday and I'm going to just give part of my life to Jesus. It's a present continuing action. That's, that's what discipleship is. If, if you're just saying I'm just going to add Jesus to my life, that's not what it is. Jesus is going to become my life. And that's what Matthew was doing right here. He left his career, his money, his friends, and he followed Jesus. Now, just think about that. He, he, he'd been contracted for this job of collecting, collecting taxes, right? Could he go back to that? No, no way. He was not going to be able to go back to that. He had lost it, okay? If anything, the Roman government was going to be after him for, for a breach of contract. He'd lost his franchise. Keep on going. Verse 10. Here's what happened. Matthew, Matthew 9, verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and, and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. From other Gospels, we, we actually know that this home was actually Matthew's home. Matthew, we read between the lines, invited Jesus to his home and also invited everyone else that was his friends as kind of a going-away party. You think about that. People are wondering, hey, what, Matthew, why, why are you leaving? You know, we're not going to party anymore on the weekends. You know, you're, you're not going to supply us with all the good food anymore. And Matthew's like, no, I'm going to spend all my, all my money. I'm going to throw a big party. And I'm going to invite Jesus and his disciples to come sit with you so that he can tell you and he can explain to you the way, the truth, and the life so that they, they can come to know him as well. He left his life. He invited his friends and said, hey, you may want to join me as well. That's what he was doing. Jesus comes to the house of Matthew. He's, he's sharing a meal with, with Matthew and his friends, tax collectors and sinners. You know how taboo that would have been? It would have been like Jesus going to the local club and spending, spending the evening there. 
That would have been like as, as taboo as it was. And all the, all the, all the religious leaders, I mean, look, look, at, look at what their reaction was. <laughs> if you read verse 11, it says, When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is it, what's he doing? Why is he, why is he, why is he partying with them? Why is he drinking with them, you know? Why is Jesus doing this? First of all, he calls this unredeemable fellow, and now he's, he's hanging out with them? Like they're his, they're his crowd? That's not what, that's not what rabbis do. Oh, they pick the, the brightest and the top students, right? They say, hey, you come follow me. Jesus did the opposite. He chose the simple. He chose the sinners. He said, no, these are going to be my people. And he, he, he explains it in these next few verses. But, but before we get there, just, just want you to think about this. What was Matthew doing as an early convert to Christ? He was the greatest evangelist, wasn't he? Some people ask, what, what do we as a church do for evangelism? Or what, what should the church do for evangelism? What can I do for evangelism? Well, let me tell you. Your home is the greatest evangelistic tool that you have. Inviting your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors to share a meal with you that's where it's at. People live so disconnected in this society that it's very uncommon for people just to get an invite to just share a meal, sit around a campfire, hang out. Do that. Take that intentional step to invite people that are far away from Jesus to come into relationship with you, to come into your family and share a meal and talk about the Lord like it's normal. They might actually think you're normal after that, or they might think you're crazy. <laughs> but it doesn't matter, because you've, you, you've taken that step and, and been just like, just like this disciple Matthew. He's a great example to us. He invited his friends. So, you know, sometimes it seems like the longer that you're a Christian, the more you have Christian friends that are part of your, your social circle, right? It's not really a benefit to us. But man, if, if you've just come to faith, and you still have a lot of un- unsaved friends, man, get them, get them around you and tell them about what Jesus has done for you. I, I guarantee you God's Spirit is going to be at work in just your faithfulness to do that. And uh, maybe invite, invite some of us who've been, been in Christ for a long time that may not have those non-Christian friends to come on over and get in relationship with, with each other. I believe God wants to do a work through us in that way. Ministry doesn't just happen in a church building. God's, God's greatest, greatest tool for evangelism is you. It's you, okay? While, while there's lots of other places like the preaching of Scripture from the pulpit, it's super important for us to be trained and equipped. It plays out practically, as Jesus said, in just relationship in everyday life. It does, Okay? So that's Matthew. That's Matthew. Let me just comment also on verse 11. You see what the Pharisees were trying to do? Bring that up on the screen again. Verse 11. <laughs> they, they saw Jesus and the disciples eating with tax collectors and sinners. Who did they go and talk to? Think about that. They're just a bunch of gossips. Instead of going directly to Jesus... They go to the disciples. Why do you think they went to the disciples? I believe that they wanted the disciples to start actually questioning the character of Jesus. 
okay? And so just be careful about that. Whenever you hear gossip, remember if someone gossips to you, they're going to gossip about you, okay? Just remember that. Or if you find yourself gossiping about somebody, just, just remember that, that they're probably going to do it as well to you, okay? This is not a positive thing, but, but, but what, what was their intent? To get them to question the character of Jesus. It reminds me actually how Satan tempted Eve. Satan came to Eve and said, did God really say? Did God really say? What was Satan trying to do? Get Eve to question the goodness and the character of God. Going, not, 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 not going to the source. These, these, uh, these Pharisees, I believe, actually had legitimate questions. Let me just be honest about that. I think they actually had legitimate questions for Jesus but they went to the wrong source. Go to the source. Go to the source. All right? These Pharisees knew a lot, a lot about the Bible, but uh, in their questioning, in their responses, it shows that they actually didn't know God. You know, um, as a pastor, it's something also that, that I believe we get from this. My hope and desire for, for people that sit under the ministry of the church is that, yes, that they would grow deeper. But, but just know this, going deeper is not the, the goal of spiritual growth, okay? Knowledge is not the ultimate goal. The, the, the Pharisees actually had all the knowledge, didn't they? They had all the knowledge, <laughs> but they lacked the thing that mattered most, a realization that they were wretched sinners, right? <laughs> I mean, they, they, they didn't have a heart of repentance, they didn't have a heart of faith in Jesus Christ. They rejected him, and they rejected hurt, broken, lost people. That is missing the heart of God. So as you, as you see these Pharisees and their questioning and their responses, know this, they're missing the heart of God in that. Read verse 12. Keep on going to verse 12. Here's where Jesus starts to respond, and it gets really good. Verse 12. When he heard this, that's Jesus, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. You know the gospel begins in one place? All of us are sinners. All of us are sinners. We're all infected with the curse of sin, and sin separates us from that holy God, and that's why we need the great physician, Jesus Christ, the one who came not for the healthy, but for the sick. So if you realize that you're sick, that's a good thing. I have a quote for you that I want to just, just put up on the screen for you. It says, when, when you don't believe that you're sick, there can be no cure. When you don't believe that you are lost, you cannot be found. Now, I may be speaking to you right now. I'll tell you just, just personally, I, I kind of avoid going to the doctor. I do. And I was talking with someone this morning. I was like, yeah, my shoulder really, you know, I think, I, I think you know, my rotator cuff is, is going or something because I have lots of pain. But I've never gone to see a doctor. So I have no idea what's wrong. Okay? Is that smart? Just say no. Okay? <laughs> okay? It's not smart. If you don't believe that you're sick, there can be no cure. Right? If you don't believe you're lost... Who has trouble asking for directions? Right? I don't have to ask for directions anymore. I got Google. Okay? <laughs> I love Google. Right? Uh, 
But when you don't believe you're lost, you can't be found. Think about this concept. The second quote. Want you, this might speak to you as well. The sicker the man, the more he needs a doctor. And the more sick he is, the more ready the doctor is to see him. Right? Maybe, 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 um, maybe you can think about this. Drive up to, an, to, to the emergency room, right? And you got a little cold, right? You got a little cough. Might be a little froggy, my, doctor, or my, my daughter says, okay? <laughs> Drive up to the ER and say, hey, I, I just need to see a doctor. My, my throat's a little sore, right? Oh, you can sit over there, right? And you wait two hours until you actually get to see anybody, okay? You could also drive up to the emergency room. You'd be like, and, and you're gonna see you're gonna see the hospital come alive, right? You see all the nurses and doctors drop everything, and they're gonna get on you, and they're gonna they're gonna clear your throat, right? They're gonna fix you, okay? And that's that's where this comes in. The sicker, the sicker the man, the more he needs a doctor, and the more sick he is, the more ready the doctor is to see him. Maybe maybe it's also the sicker you realize you are, the more ready. You see the physician able to meet your need, right? Now, you may think that the sicker you are, the more you need to get better before the doctor is going to be ready to see you, right? Isn't that faulty thinking? The dirtier you are, the more you need to clean yourself up before you're going to be presentable to God. Actually, no. It's the wrong kind of thinking. Jesus came for the sinner. He came for the worst of the worst, right? And that's what we see in Matthew. Keep on going. James 4, verse 6 says this. This is in, re- in reference to, to the Pharisees. It says, God oppose, opposes the proud. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Who's the one who's humble? The one who comes to God with brokenness, brokenness of spirit, trembles at the word of God, realizing he is holy and we are not and how need, of, need we are of a Savior. That's, that's the one. The more sinful the sinner, the more he needs a Savior, and the more ready the Savior is to see him. All right? Jesus came for sinners. I believe that's good news. Do you believe it's good news? Yeah. You know, there's a Casting Crown song, and, and uh, this, this has been around for a while. Let me just read you some of the lyrics. It's called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And I think these words need to speak to our hearts today, okay? Because we, we got to change our mind about this. We've got to realize this. It says, O oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Oh, let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. O oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our heart for what breaks yours. Jesus, friend of sinners, the one who's writing in the sand. Remember that story? The woman that was caught in, caught in adultery. What did Jesus, how did Jesus respond? Made, made the righteous turn away and the stones fall from their hands. Help us to remember we are the least of these. Let the memory of your mercy bring your people to their knees. Your, you love every lost cause you reach every outcast. For the leper and the lame, you're the reason. They're the reason that you came. 
Lord, I was the lost cause. I was the outcast. But you died for sinners just like me, a grateful leper at your feet. Beautiful lines. Let's not forget, that's me. Can you just say it? That's me. That's me, right? What's Jesus' response? Here's our last verse. His response to the Pharisees is this. Go. Go learn what this means. Go learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Go learn what it means. He's saying this to the most religiously educated people of probably all of history, right? The people that had memorized the Torah, that knew the word of God, and he's telling them, uh, you need to go back and you need to study the Bible. You need to study it again because you miss the heart of God. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting right there from Hosea 6 verse 8, 6 verse 6, saying you need to learn it. The essence of which is you don't get God's heart because you are not concerned about giving mercy to sinners. You missed it in all of your rule following. You missed the heart of God. Now the gospel is this. God is righteous and holy and just. And our sins deserve to be punished because of the wrath of God. And that wrath of God was poured out in full measure on his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus is saying, you miss it because you miss me. You missed, you're saying these people just deserve the justice and the wrath of God. He's saying you miss it because you miss me. I'm the one who came to bear their shame, to bear their wrath, to bear the justice of God. And so God completes, completes his, his character by pouring out on his own son, Jesus Christ. And he makes that free gift of eternal salvation and gives us his righteousness available to us. He does. He's offered mercy to the sinner through Jesus Christ. And if you don't get that, if we don't get it, and if we don't visibly show it, we're going to be just like the Pharisees. Aren't we? We are. As we close, let me just ask you a question. And this is just this question you can take home with you, okay? Because I think it's challenging for me. Who are you? Who are you in this passage? There's the Pharisees, there's Matthew, there's Jesus, there's the disciples, right? Which, which character are you? Just put yourself in one of their shoes, okay? I'll, I'll just help you a little bit. You're not Jesus, okay? <laughs> You're not, okay? Uh, just, just help you a little bit. Who are you? If you're the sinner, that puts you in a good place doesn't it? It does. Because Jesus came for you. God's heart is for the repentant sinner. Instead of standing in condemnation for the sinner, these Pharisees should have been rejoicing. Shouldn't they have? I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came with a mission. He came for sinners. And so no matter how sinful you are, 
Church, Traverse City, Jesus came for us. He will always receive us. And it reminds us of also just maybe something we need to keep in mind. I put this up on the screen because it's important. Church, church, if we want to win people to Jesus Christ, this may sound not that profound, you're not going to win people who think they're righteous. You're only going to win sinners. You're not going to win people who think they're righteous. You're only going to win sinners. Number one job of evangelism, show people that they're sinners. But don't just leave them there. Too often I think we just show people that they're sinners knowing how bad they are without showing them how good Jesus is. And that's the job of evangelism. We've got to know how bad we are. We're lost. We're blind. We're that wretch, right? As Amazing Grace said, a wretch like me once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see all because of the grace of God. Man, if people don't know they're sinners, they won't know they need a Savior. We've got to start there, but they need to know Jesus. So if, 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 you're, if you're convinced that you're a sinner, that's good news for you. And it's good news for your friends. If you're a thief, I want you to say this. Come to God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you've done something like um, you've committed adultery. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're, you're a racist. Maybe you struggle with alcohol. Come to God through Jesus Christ. Come to God through Jesus Christ. He'll, he'll, he'll forgive you. He'll redeem you. Maybe, maybe you're addicted to pornography right now. Can I just tell you, I've been there not too long ago, okay? And just, just like any addiction, you always call yourself an addict, right? Because you're always going to struggle with it. Come to God through Jesus Christ. Come to God through Jesus Christ. He'll redeem you. He'll restore you. Maybe you struggle with pride, greed. Come to God through Jesus Christ. Envy, lust, gluttony. Come to God through Jesus Christ. You've got to realize you're broken. You've got to realize you're full of sin before Jesus will ever re- receive you. Come to God through him, and he promises to forgive. I'm going to end with this verse. It's from 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. It goes like this. This saying is trustworthy, and it's deserving of full acceptance. So let's, let's accept it today. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example for those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Praise God. Praise God that he came for us. He came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That's said by, by one of the most prominent figures in all of Christianity, one of the greatest evangelists. Jesus also invites you into a relationship with him. Let me just ask you, do you realize that you're a sinner? If you do, it's good news for you. Don't stay there. As we close in prayer, let me just ask you if you need to take this time to take that step to repent of your sins. Say, Lord Jesus, I place my faith in you. I believe in you. I ask that you do that right now. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. 
Thank you, God, for this example of Matthew here. The worst of the worst. God, thank you that that you called him out of this life. God, you redeemed him. Just like you call us. So, Lord, whatever, whatever sin that has been plaguing us, whatever darkness is in our life right now, God, I pray that your light would come and expose it. God, that we'd see, each one of us, the depth of our sin and how it separates us from you. God, we don't want to stay there, Lord. We praise you that, Jesus, you came, you endured the cross, you bore the shame, endured the wrath of God on our behalf. You died and you rose again, conquering death and hell. So, Lord, those of us that are here, Lord, there's some, most of us here that that have fully trusted in you, and, and we want to use this time to just, just rejoice and reflect and remember if some of us are here and, and maybe this is the first time you've heard the gospel. God, I pray for those people, Lord, right now, they repent of their sins. They say, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Would you save a wretch like me? I know I've sinned. Maybe you can name some of those sins before God. Just confess it to him. Lord, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. To save me from what I deserve. I believe in you. I want to be your child. I repent of my sins and I place my faith in you. And like Matthew, I'm going to leave my life of sin and I'm going to follow you continually. Thank you, God, for saving me. Amen. Father, thank you for the assurance of Scripture. It says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God, we rejoice in that today. And Lord, we praise you for the work of salvation that you're bringing about in this church and Lord, in this city, God. And we pray, God, your kingdom would come, your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, as we think about ourselves as a church, God, we pray that we would have the same heart as your heart. God, that you came for sinners. And God, we pray that we would never forget who we are. Lord, sinners made righteous by your blood. Help us, Lord, to reach this city, reach this world with the good news that you've come for us. Thank you, God, for your perfect plan. And we love you, and we want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.